Hello, everybody, and welcome to another um, LinkedIn Live, another session on Think Human. And this month, we are talking about optimizing sales development teams in uncertain times. Um, we've got two great panelists for you. Before we get to them, though, I've got some quick housekeeping um, stuff to get through. So um, as with all our previous sessions, um, we do see all the comments. Um, it's a little bit different to being in real life. But we, you know, you don't get the same energy back from the from the crowd who's who's watching. So do share your emojis. Do put your comments in. Um, we see them all, and it really helps keep the um, keep the session moving along. Um, alongside that, um, we take questions as we go. Um, and one of the things we've learned is to repeat that through the session. So do remember um, that we are um, picking them up on, on the fly. Um, and so fire them out as you um, as you think of them. Um, we always take feedback from the sessions um, and um, there will be a link to complete that feedback session. Do fill it out um, because um, for every um, completion, we basically um, um, give a donation to a registered charity called uh, Magic Breakfast, um, where they basically ensure that kids who would otherwise go hungry to school are fully fed and are able to concentrate on actually learning rather than um, being hungry. So, so do complete that those feedback forms when you see the link. Um, um, they will be coming out in the comments and we'll share also um, towards the end of the session. Um, Quick few words on me um, and Radiate B2B. So um, I've spent 20 years in sales and marketing tech, basically creating teams, scaling them internationally, um, building video advertising networks, email marketing platforms um, for companies big and small. Um, with Radiate um, B2B, um, we really are focused on helping sales teams know who might be open to a conversation right now, who's back in the market, and then making sure that when you do talk to them, that um, they know who you are. And so obviously, if um, that is something you'd be interested in talking about, do DM me um, on LinkedIn and happy to have a chat. Okay, so with that all complete, let me bring in the two speakers, um, Lily and Tom. Welcome, Lily. Welcome, Tom. Hey. Good morning. Um, what um, before we get started, it'd be great to obviously introduce yourselves. So, Lily, do you want to introduce yourself first? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm Lily. I'm head of business development at a company called Paddle. So we are your all-in-one payments infrastructure um, for SaaS companies. So we kind of look after everything that's not that exciting for you as you build your product: um, your tax, your payments, um, subscriptions, and invoices. I've been at Paddle for the past couple of years, um, started out as BDR manager there and recently moved into the head of BD role. Thank you, Lily. Tom? Uh, yes, good morning, everybody. So Tom Castley, I'm currently at a hook, helping them build out their go-to-market function. Uh, hook is like an intent engine for customer success and expansion teams identifying the risk of churn or the opportunity for expansion and then giving you a plan on how to address it. Uh, prior to that, uh, my modus operandi was really launching U.S. software companies in Europe. So my most recent one was Outreach, uh, which is a platform that a lot of SDR teams use. I think Lily's team uses it at Paddle. 
and uh, had about 100 SDRs kind of go through the graduation program as we grew out the business at Outreach. Um, so, yeah, hoping to bring some value today. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Bertie, for the energy. Um, more of it to come, please. Um, okay, so let's get um, let's get started. So, obviously, the major topic right now um, we're, we're seeing it really across across LinkedIn, especially, um, but also in the news is is the uncertainty in the economy um, over um, coming months. And um, are we there yet? Are we seeing? Are we seeing that actually happen or are we talking ourselves into it? Um, Tom, should we start with you? Um, yeah. Uh, I, look, yes, it, it, we are there for some companies, definitely. But I think um, uh, if you look back to the pandemic, there were some companies that did amazingly well because there's a new set of challenges that came around yeah. and then others that didn't necessarily uh, and struggled and had to uh, take corrective action and, and protect themselves and, and what have you. We have seen on LinkedIn, you know, folks being made redundant and contractions in team sizes. Um, uh, we tend to focus on those. Uh, we're nowhere near that stage yet, in, in my opinion. Um, the fact is, uh, when you come to these periods of change, change doesn't happen unless you buy something. Uh, so somebody's selling something somewhere. And um, so I'm sure we'll dig into how we make ourselves relevant and pivot uh, in a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Lily? Yeah, I think I'd echo a lot of that. I think also your point around, like, have we talked ourselves into it? Like, we're definitely there in some senses, but I do think we're also being cautious. We're protecting ourselves for when that might happen. And some are moving quicker than others um, in order to do that, redundancies and things like that. They do come about in these times. I think it's also about looking at the longer tail game. Um, can we protect ourselves now, but also in the future as well, and making sure that we're being proactive about that. But also kind of a big part about being visible and empathetic during this time for those on the team, making sure we over-communicate. I don't think there's any such thing as communicating too much, but being present, being accessible to the teams and really understanding what's going on on the ground so that we can prioritise in, in these times when it, it can be more difficult, for sure. Are you, what, do you, what do you think about um, when it comes to this sort of changing environment? What are, what are the, the common things that you, you, you initially go to when this happens? Lily, do you want to come yeah. The longer tail game, for sure. I don't think you can just look at this as like month by month, quarter by quarter. It's like, where are we going to be in the next year, two years, three years, four years? And making sure we're getting ready for that. Obviously, we have quotas to hit now. And that's important as well. Um, but I think it's okay to adjust in these times as well and, and be cognizant of that. And trust the process. Um, we talk about it a lot in our team. It's really easy to change things really quickly in this moment of panic of, is this going to happen? Is this not going to happen? But I think trusting the process and what we have and what's worked, seeing if that continues to work and if it doesn't, adjust accordingly again, um, but not making really irrational decisions very quickly, but being smart about the decisions that we do make. Yeah, I think I think that's, I think your your point about longer tail, I mean, I mean, if, if, if budgets are, Andrew's just, just commented and saying that, um, you know, he's seeing, um, capex budgets being restricted straight cut and, and if that's happening i guess 
people are being more cautious potentially if you know i mean to tom's point i guess it's a matter of um figuring out where the opportunity is or what the what the messaging is is that that right tom it, yeah it. there's uh, and 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 look there's kind of there's like a top tier view on this at the company level then there's a sales view and there's a right. there's an there's an sdr view on it as well but um Look, you know, from a company standpoint, I welcome uh, the pressure on businesses to be well run. You know, it's, um, uh, you know, the idea of spending, you know, £1.80 to make a pound never really sat that comfortably with me, even if it was for phenomenal growth. Yeah. And so the rigor that's being put on organizations now and you know, making responsible decisions, not, you know, kind of going all in on a, an unmatched pair in poker. It's like, you know, play the hands that are in front of you. Um, and additionally, you know, thinking about it's it, the picture I have of a, a lot of companies in a good market is if, if their revenue is a bucket, that they're concentrating on pouring the revenue in the top of the bucket and not really interested about customers and processes in their organization drilling holes in the bottom and it leaking out. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and this is the time when, you know, companies and leaders need to think about actually, if we're slowing down the water coming into the top, we can just fix the leaks. And, you know, leaks is, uh, you know, doubling down on process. It's, uh, it's not being busy for being busy sake. So, uh, I, and I'm sure Lily would, um, agree with me on this one is uh, there can be a tendency for the quality uh, in sales development teams when it's lean to go down very quickly and that can create a false sense of security and actually be kind of a double bite because you know the pipeline still looks great and yet the win rates suddenly drop to like eight nine percent yeah so actually re-education on sale criteria having a look at that again so sale criteria sales accepted lead what yeah. are the rules by which we're going to measure an opportunity for our sales development leaders and, and their sales counterparts is think, what does that look like uh, to ensure that we're still having uh, our teams generate the right opportunities and aren't just booking meetings that waste time? Yeah, hopefully I've kind of gone from the ceiling to the floor in that response. Yeah, no, completely. And, and, and there is those different perspectives. Lily, I know when we've talked um, <laughs> in the past, you know, in terms of your teams and, and the SDRs themselves and how, um, you know, they get impacted. Um, you talked a lot about um, um, how you focus more on them um, as, a, as the manager um, and how you change that um, perspective in, in these sorts of situations. Do you want to expand? Yeah, for sure. I mean, at the end of the day, like, that's what it comes down to. It comes down to the people that are the ones on the ground doing this work. And I think there is this view of do more, do better, and do more, do more, do more. And it does actually, like Tom said, it creates this busy work type mentality of taking yeah. meetings that we perhaps can't support. And I think there's an element of that of, is that helpful to the person that you're speaking to? But is it helpful, helpful to your sales team as well? I think it's really important to focus on where we're going to see reward it's not just about out muscling everyone else it's about outbraining everyone else be smarter about it focus on what we can win on the here and the now and not just about doing more to try and fill more <laughs> and fill more time but it's perhaps just busy work that actually doesn't lead to anything else 
Um, but it's, it's the people at the end of the day, you have to support them and you have to listen to them. They're the ones that see this day in, day out, the whole landscape of the SDR world in terms of reaching out to people and the different channels that you can do that on, that has changed. Um, and that continues to change and trying to get through to people is really, really difficult. Um, but it's about really thinking outside the box and what we can do on that side of things and not just focusing on if we just do more, we're kind of spreading ourselves more thinly and ultimately not not seeing the results from that at all. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, Tom, you sort of alluded to that as well, didn't you, in, in, in your comment? And you touched on the the importance of of you know, looking at the sales definitions around sales accepted lead and and that side of things. Um, you know, obviously, when environments change, whenever there's there's you know growth or, or depression or, or any any sort of change, um, there's always opportunity. But it's different opportunity, isn't it? So, so I'm, I guess it's so important to go back and revisit. Um, yeah. So I. I, I to, to, and I, I try where possible to kind of give away some tactics and things on, on these, mm. these calls. So, you know, very rarely are SDR teams pointed at anything other than new business acquisition. Uh, we're hearing in the market, uh, certainly when I'm speaking with CROs, that they're worried about getting to their number this year. We're too far through the year um, to to reforecast to the boards the boards aren't going to you know aren't going to accept that so i think in a recent pavilion survey i think 38 percent of cro's were comfortable about getting to their number so in senior levels there is there is concern um expansion of your install base is your friend and in my experience and i was doing a talk on this the other day most expansion is intra-quarter and it's just customers phoning up to buy more of the same mm-hmm. Um, there is a school of thought that says if you value retention and retention, one of the key tenants to retention is they're being successful and, you know, and seeing value and what have you. And if you don't think of SDRs as expandable, expendable resources, you think of them as the future talent of the organization, then potentially redirect them at expansions. But you know, the expansions which they'd be good at doing, cross sales, get yourself deeper into an organization, upsells to different personas in those organizations. That can be an untapped resource of revenue that actually uh, gives the SDRs another set of skills because they now have to, they've got the research, they've got information about the client. They can be even more personalized. Yeah. They can understand more customer stories. They can understand what the, uh, you know, the onward sell is. And I can see that ticking a lot of boxes. The second thing I would share with you, um, and it's, uh, it wasn't as a result of what we're going through at the moment. It's kind of a result of the age of, of Hook as a business. But um, you know, when we looked at uh, the personas that we were pitching, you know, being a piece of customer success software, um, I kind of got a feeling that we were kind of a yellow problem. In other words, the kind of things you might hear would be, you know, my job is a little bit more difficult and it's going to take me longer if I put this decision off or the problem's annoying, but I can't get traction yet. Or, you know, we'll be slightly less efficient. And in this market, yellow problems don't get bought. And so what we did was try to find some red problems. 
And it turns out, you know, from like a forecasting standpoint or that revenue standpoint where it sits with the CRO, it's a red problem. It's like not acting will cause my company to get, you know, critical KPIs and events wrong or I'm persistently fail in these important tasks if I don't do that. And so it's worthwhile looking at your persona mix and you might say for the next few months, we're going to wind down a little bit on these personas because they feel like yellow problems today and wind up on the personas where actually the environment we're in, the macro environment, we could actually be talking about red problems for them. Yeah, interesting. I think that's a really, really interesting point um, about how you how you shift that that focus. Lily, um, what's your perspective? Yeah, I think I'd agree with a lot of that. There's a question here as well from Jordan on kind of encouraging creativity on each of these channels as well. And how much do we do that at Paddle? It's super topical and kind of any of my BDR team that are on right now will definitely be wanting to hear the answer to this question. But I think there's there's really a fine balance. Um, I definitely do encourage a lot of creativity. And I think that's the really fun part of a BDR, SDR type role. It's the bit where you get to really dive into an account and pick out things that other people might have missed and really try and be personalized about what you're saying. I think there is a lot of spam type email coming to a lot of people that you are having to be different to stand out. That being said, there has to also be these kind of minimum level of expectations of what you can achieve and spending 30, 40, 50 minutes researching an account that's really for us kind of an SMB type account that's perhaps not going to reap a huge amount of return. Like, is that worth the time? I think in some cases, for sure. But I think it is this fine balance. I don't think we have exactly the perfect kind of silver bullet for it all right now. And we've done a lot of testing around this recently of doing a very automated approach versus a very personalized approach. Um, I don't think it's a surprise. <laughs> the personalized approach does shine through in a lot of senses but there's just not enough volume that you can get out that way so it's striking the balance and i think there's perhaps some channels that you can be more personalized through versus others mm -hmm. i think email is a really good opportunity to be personalized because i think there is so much coming through that you have to be different to stand out um, but there are other elements there's a lot of video outreach tech platforms that you can you can be personalized but you can also automate a lot of it as well um, to strike that balance too. So I think it's difficult to create that across the board. Um, and I think especially for newer reps into this role, it's hard to just be creative. If you've not been creative before, <laughs> there has to be kind of some guardrails around that and getting people into a more automated flow when they first start is yeah. perhaps the way to go. And then as you kind of increase in confidence and experience over time giving more of that flexibility around creativity and, and starting to see the results that root from that as well yeah yeah completely agree tom we you, you talked a bit about being creative with sales deals within existing um companies in the, in, in the past when we've had conversations mm -hmm. um, um do you want to talk about that a little bit in this context that yeah, I'll, get, I'll, I'll do a quick summary and then i'd love to follow on from what lily said i think um you know, in terms of being creative, um, um, I was really impressed with Outreach's approach during the pandemic in the case by case, you know, we're not the bank of, you know, of software companies. We still had to make some very difficult decisions, but where possible, we tried to 
give people, you know, um, um, a holiday, a payment holiday to say, you know, they're massively committed to us. They just were going through something terrible for four or five months. And, you know, we either let them contract or, as I say, gave them a payment holiday. Others we did have to let go, you know, where it didn't make sense. But I, uh, I, I can tell you for all of those people where we had that partnership approach, when we did the analysis, we didn't do it for those reasons, but when we did the analysis post-event, every single one of them was bigger and stronger and had a better relationship. And actually, a lot of times were spending more with us as a result. They doubled down on us. And so if, if you are able to, if the finances of your business allow for it, uh, that kind of speaks to the long-term view that Lily was talking about at the top of the call. Thinking, you know, SaaS is a subscription business. We're you know, uh, turning them off. They're not, they're not likely to come back. They'll just go to something else. But uh, you know, working with somebody through the problem is key. Um, yeah. I really liked what Lily was saying about personalization, though. I know, you know, I'm a huge fan of multi-channel. You know, don't stick to one channel. Get get onto all of them. But um, the good ideas get flooded really quickly. So you know, it was LinkedIn, you know, video messaging you know, a year ago, suddenly took off, it worked really well. And then it dipped. And then actually, it's just come back again, a couple of months back. And because everybody had stopped doing it, the ones that saw that it had kind of died down and jumped back on it again, had great sense. So, you know, look to your SDR managers, look to your peers, say what channels are converting better at the moment than others. And, and just be aware that when it kind of goes off trend is actually the time to go on trend again. Um, and push it through. I also think there's, I, I don't use any of these tools. I can't recommend them, but I just did a, a, a quick search. I kind of have a list. There's companies like Vidu, uh, which allow you to do like personalized gifts on, yep. uh, on videos. That's a, a little nuance. I like that. If you can, if you can personalize it, it stands out. Uh, gifting still has a place for me for your top tier accounts. Uh, and there's multiple vendors, you know, reach desk, Sendoso and what have you. And then what I also think is um, personalization uh, with, without um, uh, kind of a, a sense of, uh, of relationship or relatedness can come across a little bit automated and robotic. And uh, Crystal Nose is a solution I've heard about a lot in the past. Yeah. So it does personality profiling. And if you've filled out your profile, it will help you to structure the communication in a style um, that matches the persona that you're talking to. So now you can be personalized and relevant and in their style. And, uh, you know, those are the things that kind of set people apart. Yeah, I'd echo a lot of that as well. I think we use video and reach desk um, within our teams as well. And I know that video especially is kind of, been something that reps sort of classed onto that peak where it came back around earlier part of this year and started to see some real success from it. And it's it's that line as well between personalization, but also being able to do it at scale. Um, it offers you that. We use Reach Desk as well, more for top tier accounts. Um, mm -hmm. But I do think gifting does still have a place, um, but it, it's difficult. I think all of those pieces together working in tandem is where you start to see the results. I think just restricting yourself to one of those platforms um, is where you can kind of fall, fall at some of those hurdles because you have to spread yourself wide across those different channels. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've we've worked with Serrano, um, which is similar to the Crystal Nose thing, which um, does a great job of of identifying that sort of level of personality that just allows you to to change the tone or or the approach that you have with a with a prospect. Um, right now, I guess I guess one of the most important um, things that you you need is that insight. Uh, I forget now which of the two of you um, brought it up, but that that idea of going to your BDRs, your SDRs, and talking to them about what they're seeing, what's working in the channels, and not that you know that that sort of level of insight. Um, you know, I, I'm clearly biased because of the radiate um, perspective, but, but you know, using intent data to understand which sectors are are, are growing or, or spending more time on these things um, is that something you guys have used much in the past? We've definitely used it. I don't think there's anything that compete with on the ground feedback from the individuals. Yeah, absolutely. That's number one for us. It's making sure we're having that conversation all the time. Um, and also making sure we're making decisions off the back of that, but not just being super reactive. It's easy to be frustrated as a salesperson in any role of I'm having a bad month and you feed that back to your manager and, there is a temptation to want to change something really quickly, but there is also that element of, like I mentioned earlier, the longer tail game, the trusting the process. So it's being present enough to hear that feedback and to prioritize and react quickly when you need to react quickly, but also recognizing those opportunities where it's like, what else is there? Like you mentioned intent data, really backing that up with what's there. It's not just word of mouth. This is also backed up by data. And I think both of those in tandem is where you can start to make some really smart decisions. I think, using them both siloed is where you start to fall into some traps there. That makes sense. Tom, do you have a perspective? Uh, I do, yeah. So uh, pressure either makes diamonds or bursts pipes, doesn't it? And, um, <laughs> and, and when you, and when you some, I've seen this with SDR teams when they're put under pressure, uh, they can go off and become a little bit maverick uh, and, and get lost in their own creativity. Um, and that can be a challenge. I um, uh, the analogy I'll use there's a, there's a great YouTube video I think it's uh, the Axis of Awesome uh, it's had millions of hits there's some swearing in it so uh, so don't play it in front of children uh, I did uh, I had to like <laughs> cut it off very quickly uh, but the reason I played it was because um, they do like seventy odd number one hits and they use the same four chords. And wow. it's really intriguing, literally same four chords and the song after song. And, you know, all of them, by the way, they weren't just like number ones. They're like global number ones across so many different kind of like genres as well. And I was like, wow. And, um, you know, the fact here is, is that uh, as, a, as an organization, you have those musical notes. So same four chords and allow creativity to build around those don't allow them to change the notes uh, because then things can go very wild and crazy and the data will never support, uh, you know, any kind of analysis because, you know, every, every sequence or cadence will look like it's the best because you've got nothing to compare it to. Yeah. So one of my tips in that regard is create a content committee. So bring four or five SDRs together and then have them collaboratively look at the messaging and then roll that out to the teams as a result of that, rather than uh, letting the SDRs, when under pressure in these kind of environments, go off and be 
and be too creative and iterate far too often uh, trying to find kind of the, you know, this master message that might work. Should should marketing be playing a role here as well? No. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, did I say that out loud? <laughs> I don't think uh, I could have done. <laughs> yeah. Um, here's, here's the thing, the difference between, uh, so I have uh, phenomenal respect for marketing. Um, marketing is a one-to-many message. And is typically what I would refer to in as Skip Miller calls it uh, towards messaging, okay. which is um, let me give a quick example. Um, uh, if she's uh, if I was uh, selling a TV, yeah, it's it's uh, you know has a great picture. You can see it when the sun's right. shining on it. Uh, it uh, has the, the you know great resolution. It has Netflix built in. They'll give you all the benefits. Uh, in sales, people don't gravitate towards the good news. They move away from the bad news. So you need away messaging. Yeah. Now, I'm sick and tired of not being able to see my telly when it's sunny outside. I'm frustrated by the fact that when I'm watching these latest movies, I can't see the detail and the colors in there. Uh, I, I'm, uh, I, I have to keep watching Netflix on my iPad because my telly doesn't show it. Uh, and that just doesn't feel right. Yeah. So yeah. the same three benefits, but flipped into a way messaging. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the SDR leaders, you know, lilies of this world are phenomenal at taking benefits and turning them into issues, challenges, frustrations and away messaging. Lily, what's your take? I mean, for sure, it's about drawing in on someone's pain and getting them to respond to that. Like people are feeling this. It is real <laughs> and really making it feel real for them. I think there's also the strike and the balance of giving them too much in that email, giving them too much value, giving them too much pain. Instead, what are we really trying to achieve? We're trying to achieve a meeting or a call. How do we sell that time? How do we get them to take 10, 15 minutes out of their day to have that call that's not come off the back of just bribing them with gifts and things like that to take <laughs> that call, but it is come off the back of we can actually offer you some value here. We can help with that pain that you guys are currently facing, or maybe that you don't even know that you're facing because some people don't, don't think about it or they don't know. Um, but you've got an expert and these BDRs are experts in what, in their field. And they're able to go on these websites and identify problems and, and look at that and, yeah. and feed that back. And that's really, really valuable. Um, so it's, it is, really? pain, but it's the value too. Yeah. Quick question for you, only because of the comment that came in from Christian around gifting and, you know, it's to reinforce appearance rather than to bribe. What What's your experience of the acceptance rates on gifts when people have no intention of coming to a meeting? Because I, I looked at it once and my impression was when they didn't accept the gift, it's because they had no intention of coming to it. It's, it because there is that rule of reciprocation, isn't there? That if I take the gift, I'm duty bound to go. But if I don't want to go, so I, I'm sure there must be a correlation between using it as a litmus test to work out whether somebody does uh, come back to it. Yeah, 100% is correlation. I think also in different markets. I think the European market, those that take the gift, they do really feel that obligation. <laughs> um, to, to join and to just take the meeting as a pleasantry. I think we see less of that in the US market. We also have tried gifting of 
if you turn up to this school, we'll give you X. So there is like, you need to actually be there first. Again, there is challenges with that. I think we're navigating through a period of this right now of how do we enable the AEs to have those conversations? Because if someone's jumping on a call and it's just a case of, I want the gift that you offered me and you dangled there, and <laughs> that's what I'm here for. That's a problem. That's a really hard conversation to have, but you can flip that conversation. They are still taking the time. They've given you that time, be it five minutes. What can we do with that five minutes to actually offer them some value? Yeah, we'll give you the gift. We'll honor that. It's not a fake email that was sent out, but what can we do to really turn that conversation around? And a lot of that comes into the enablement of the reps to have that conversation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely think there is there is a correlation on intent. If, if someone doesn't even claim the gift, like there really is not a huge amount of intent there, I don't think. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on the whole sales marketing thing. Um, I, I sort of disagree a little bit with Tom, but I don't want to draw too much into it. <laughs> I, my, my take really simply is marketing should know that the content they're writing is being used in that context. So they should know exactly what you just said. Which, I, thought, I thought what you said was spot on in terms of the, mm. the way you write it. But, and if marketing doesn't get that, then that's a problem for marketing. Um, um, but anyway, I don't want to dwell into that much as I'd like to. Um, let's sounds, move. sounds like we're having a beer. <laughs> yeah, completely, completely. Um, what I wanted to move on to is actually something that Andrew is um, Andrew Giles has, has asked a question around, and, and, and it's about um, how you shift and move SDR teams, structure SDR teams, how you change them. Um, in these sorts of environments. Obviously, we've talked a bit about assigning them. Well, not necessarily assigning them, but focusing more towards um, your existing um, client base and, and upselling. And, and Andrew's asking, can new business SDRs adapt to that farming type role? Um, Lily, let's start with you. Yeah, I can jump in. Um, I think, yes they can adapt. I think anyone in a BDR role has to adapt daily anyway, regardless of the role. It's a big part of waking up in the morning and facing a lot of rejection and figuring out what to do next with it. You are constantly adapting. Um, I think you have to be smart in the way that you structure your teams, not just in times like we're facing, um, but just generally. And it's about where can we win? Where are people best positioned to win? Um, how does product fit fit into that as well? Um, how does the roadmap fit into that? Are we selling things that are way too far off the roadmap that actually we shouldn't be and we need to reprioritize and think right now we can win in this segment. Let's focus attention here and offer, offer opportunity for um, progression and promotion further down the line in, in areas that we can win. Yep. But I think, yes, in short, BDRs, SDRs can adapt, but it, it does come with enabling the teams to do that and making sure they're really clear on where we can and where we can't win and what the focus and, and the intent behind it as well. Like I said at the top of the call, it's over-communicate. <laughs> Get the team to understand why we're doing this, what the focus is around that, because that, that helps with being adaptable to those situations. Yeah. It's not easy changing all the time. Um, and as much as possible, I say, I'd love to be consistent in this role and keep things the same. But it's really hard. You have to adapt to the changing environment. You have to adapt to the needs of the company. 
board demands, all of that kind of thing, that plays a big, big role in how you structure the team. That being said, as long as you're communicating that to the team and they understand, and it's not just this is a top level decision that hasn't been communicated, I think that's where the reception to that becomes much, much easier. Yeah. Tom? Um, yeah, so that my, my answer to the question is uh, absolutely they can, they can flip to farming. Um, and as Lily says, it's around enablement. If we, if we compare the two sides contrastingly, you know, if I'm reaching out to a new business company, I've got a data provider, I'm using, you know, intent capabilities like radiate to, to understand, you know, what kind of things they're looking at. Um, and, uh, I look to personalize my message as a result of that. Now, when those same SDRs reach out to existing customers, you have to be very aware of the fact that they're dealing with probably a CSM, uh, somebody in support, and an account uh, and an AE who previously sold to them, who knows them intimately. And if you were to walk into that conversation without having some at least headline awareness of what's going on in the account, and come into it. Um, in, in sympathy for where that relationship is, then you're going to get shut down very quickly and you're also going to damage the relationship. Yeah. So the, uh, it's incumbent upon the employer to make sure that the SDRs had the information at their fingertips to be able to represent them well. And um, the process changes, they need to work out how to get kind of mantra notes, if you will, from the CSMs and the AEs on actually what should this this call out be because it won't be a company call out anymore. For new business, the SDR is, you know, talking about hook or talking about paddle. Uh, if it's if it's a farming call, they're talking out about a specific module or a specific use case. Yeah. And so, you know, that means building sequences which are more granular. That means having messaging that starts with thanking them for their business, their loyalty and their support. You know, it, so there is some work that goes into it. But, if, you know, I would say if you're struggling to get to your number, it's worthwhile work. Uh, yeah. And it doesn't take that long to implement. It just needs, a, you know, a little SWAT team to get onto it. Cool. All of this sort of changes the dynamics of, of the day-to-day -day for SDRs, BDRs. Um, how... We, we touched on it a little bit, um, but I think it's worth drilling in a little bit more into it in, in terms of how you measure and actually reward success. Um, Tom, right at the very top of the session, you, you talked about, I think, process um, and, and and rather than outcome. Um, yeah. Do you want to drill yeah, so, so, in terms of... Yeah, so in, in sport, uh, there's a whole... There was a mentality shift about 20 years ago to thinking about process-based thinking rather than outcome-based thinking. Mm -hmm. And if you Google that and you put the word sport in front of it, you'll just get a million pages, which you can look at and research. So, uh, you know, golf is something I'm not particularly good at. And bad golfers will concentrate on where the ball ended up. Good golfers will concentrate on their uh, pre-shot routine, how they address the ball, swing mechanics, uh, and all of the things that they can control up until the point at which the club hits the ball. And so that's process-based thinking. What, um, what I would advocate 
here. Again, if you're in a scenario where the outcomes are not coming uh, and people aren't getting the performance, they're getting frustrated and what have you, is maybe start to think about rewarding and compensating process-based thinking. So, you know, if you trust the process, if you follow the process and they're doing that, then reward them for that. If they can get absolutely phenomenal during tough times on the process, when things get good again, the outcomes will happen. <coughs> Does that mean focusing on generating qualified meetings or is that, are you, is it something That's different? an outcome. That's an outcome. Okay. Yeah. So, so frequencies would be, um, making sure that they don't take the foot off the pedal on the phone, for example. So are they doing enough phone calls? Yeah. Would be uh, making sure that uh, they don't take the foot off. The I mean, each company, each, each SDR leader could give you five or six things that they know that if their SDR teams keep doing and doing frequently to a standard, uh, the outcomes will be more assured. Yeah. There's uh, the other side of it then is I, it's another skip. And I didn't mean to be an advert for skip, but uh, it's called he talks about frequencies and competences equals results. So frequencies are the things that I do more often. Competences is how well I do them. And so it should be the case that systems of record should be able to pick up on the frequencies, the things that I'm doing shouldn't have to be manually captured. And then SDR managers and team leads, seniors and what have you, or, or cohorts of SDRs should be working on their competencies. So the skills that they uh, uh, and the attributes that they use to deploy those frequencies. Um, again, this is a great time to really double down on those, uh, because if you get that right now and you can you, you can. You can stop or, or certainly, uh, you know, reduce the impact of the environment we're in. Guess what's going to happen when the market changes again? We're yeah. going to have we're going to have fun. Yeah. Lily, I know I know you talked a lot about this um, in terms of your focus on the team. How how have you um, changed things, or, or what have you focused on? Yeah, I think I agree with most of what Tom said. I think there is a process element that. I struggle with a bit more around if we do this process, this will equal this outcome. I think with the changing landscape and all the different approaches that you can take, sometimes you have to adjust that process. It's not just the case of making 50 calls a day that was working in January is going to work in March or we'll see the fruition of that in July. Yeah. We think there has to be that constant adjustment. That being said, I do think there is this minimum level of expectation that needs to be upheld because you can't have people just suddenly drop to 10 calls a day because they think that that's going to work mm. so there is that that fine balance and getting that right is is really really difficult yeah. um i think for me a big part of all of this comes down to not just bdrs sdrs hitting their number but like is that correlating to a business number as well are we working back and thinking right okay I've got bars that have all hit 100% to target on their quality meetings, but actually none of these have turned into opportunities. What's happening here? Is this an AE enablement problem or actually were they not quite the quality that they needed to be to knock on? I know that a lot of um, businesses focus around meetings booked as that metric that's sort of the be all and end all. Yeah. Controversially, I don't know that I fully agree with that because I think you can rush to book meetings and we can look at that number and think, oh, this is really high, this is really great, this is going to mean X number of quality meetings. But I think 
if they aren't quality meetings, that metric becomes a bit redundant and it becomes so hyper-driven on, I just want to get people on the phone. Is that helpful? Is that helpful for a BDR, for an AE, for the company that we're having a conversation with? We have strict guidelines around our acceptable use policy and what we can and what we can't support. So it's, it's much smarter to make sure you are taking meetings with companies that you can support. That being said, there is also the trade-off for sometimes it is helpful for them to have that conversation with you because you are the expert and you can help them navigate that. And even if we're not the right solution, <coughs> help just be the expert for that moment. Um, but I definitely think it's, it's around quality meetings for us and that being a leading indicator as to what's next rather than just the busy work of, of booking meetings. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay, um, it's 12.15. Um, before, we've got a couple of questions that are, are in the comments. Before I get to those and, and we sort of summarise at the end, I just wanted to um, remind everybody about the survey um, um, to get feedback from everybody on the session. Um, thank you to the four people who have already um, completed it. Um, I've shared it into... Um, um, to everybody so you can see it. Um, it'd be great if um, everybody could complete that. Um, now the link's in the comments. Um, for every person that does complete it, um, we make a donation to Magic Breakfast, which helps children living in food insecurity. So please do complete those. I'll leave this up on screen for the next few minutes while we answer some of the questions. Um, I can see um, Eke has asked a question specifically for Tom um, around... Um, a distribution company having gone through a bad year due to the pandemic, what smart B2B sales intelligence strategy can be applied to get traffic and conversion? Tom, uh, do you... <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, It's not often that I'm stumped. <laughs> um, like I, yeah, I, I don't have an answer. And that's the first time in about three years, I think. Jeez. Well done, Ika. You get the, the medal for stumping me. Lily, do you have anything that you'd add? I don't know that I do. I feel like this is something I'd throw over the fence to marketing and hope that they have solution. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're not talking to me anymore, apparently. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a big question, isn't it, really? There's, it, there's so many different angles that you can come at it through. Um I mean, fundamentally it's measurement and then and then testing isn't it which which in some ways is marketing's bag but increasingly is more sales is bag right with with um, the systems that are available to to sales people today yeah um jordan had a, had a comment um about um he was curious about the process that you followed in identifying those red problems that you mentioned earlier that will drive urgency in prospects that is required during uncertain times. Is that for me? Um, Lily, why don't you? I think start I that think it. Yeah. Um, I think identifying those problems. I mean, it's so specific to what you are trying to sell. I mean, for us, we yeah. can identify some of those things by looking at someone's website, looking at how many currencies they offer for people to pay and what payment methods they offer. Yeah. Um, so I think it's thinking about where, where do you win? Um, and then working back from that of like, if you can name three or four areas that you can really help with, 
more often than not, you're going to strike on at least one of those. And that's how you then pick that apart. But perhaps for some, it's easier to identify than others. But I do think if you can have four, four in your back pocket, um, hopefully at least one of them sort of rings true. Yeah. Tom? Yeah, sorry. The, the fire alarm went off, which you may have been out, and, and I wasn't told it was a test. So I was ready to walk out the office. <laughs> and now I just dived into a meeting room. So apologies for the uh, screw up on the video there. That's a the problem with not working from home at the moment. Um, what would I say? Yeah, so the question was around how to identify the red things as opposed to the uh, yellow and greens. You know, it's uh, I write down from like naught to 10 for a start, kind of you know, significant, not being, there's no pain whatsoever. One being like, I don't know, it's not perfect. Uh, I don't really care that much right now. All the way up to my company will die if we do not act. Yeah. And, um, and if you grade those, what you'll find when you look at the multiple personas that you can sell to is that different, sometimes even at different times during the year, say somebody's coming into budgeting season, or, you know, somebody's, uh, you know, coming into holiday season, it kind of depends on your markets, that uh, certain personas will be more green, yellow, or red as you go through it. And uh, it's, uh, I like to use it as a good litmus test to keep stress testing. Are we speaking to the right people in the right accounts? You know, certain segments will be different. Um, the second thing I would say about that, which I, I also believe is relevant and I'm shamelessly stealing it off uh, Munya Huto, who in my opinion is like the best CMO in Europe. He was at Verity recently. Uh, he talks a lot about stability preference. And what that is, is kind of better the devil you know than the devil you don't. And when people are nervous, they are more likely to stick with the status quo than make a change. And in sales uh, and from SDRing, what we have to do is create an environment where uh, the prospect or customer uh, has made a decision that doing nothing is the worst possible thing that they can do. It's at that point they're not in stability preference, they're now in motion. When they're in motion, they'll, they'll decide to do something. They'll either uh, change a process uh, hire somebody or ideally buy a piece of technology that may fix it. Yeah. So our challenge in, at the moment is to get people in motion, to be willing to make a change. And luckily, when there's external stress factors, um, for some organizations, like, you know, Hopping would be a great example during the pandemic. Everybody suddenly went to virtual conferences. And, you know, and you think, why would anybody make a change at the moment? We're in a pandemic. Well, the macro factor actually caused that change and they just had to consume it. Yeah. Hopefully I explained that well. Um, we had another question that came in externally, um, which was, um, I would love to hear how the specialists survived the burnout stage in their career. What, what steps they followed to be back on track and more passionate about what they do than ever before. Um, obviously, I guess this can happen more in this sort of environment. You touched on that, Tom, um, earlier from a stress standpoint. Is there are there things that you'd recommend? Yeah, I think I I think where that 
might be coming from is, uh, you know, the opportunities for promotions for SDRs might slow down a little bit because, you know, we're not going to expand the sales team. So they end up being an SDR for longer and they're like, you know, I've done my chore of duty. I'm not really kind of, you know, this is, I'm not learning anything and I'm not growing and I'm getting frustrated and I'm just having to be here. And guess what? Prospects will sense that immediately uh, and their results will go down. And then you get this spiral. Um, I'm a huge fan of the um, uh, understand it, know it, use it, live it, teach it. Yeah. And so for these, uh, you know, senior SDRs is, 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 is progress them to the, te- if they can teach what it is that they've done, um, then they should get some form of reward from that to have any form of intrinsic um, a kind of view of the world. The second thing is just to remind them of the three rules of promotion. You know, to get to your next job, you need to be ready. What can they be doing to do that? There's an element which is external. There's an element which is on them and there's an element that's on the company. Yeah. So be ready. Number two is, which they can't control, which is, you know, be ready when the job comes up. Right. Uh, so, you know, I uh, have timing. The third component, which a lot of people forget is make yourself redundant. If you, if somebody else can't fill your shoes, I'm a business person. I'm not moving you. Yeah. So unless they've gone through that live it, teach it process, and they've made somebody as good and phenomenal as they are, that the business impact, ideally even better than they are, because they'll, you know, they'll help them avoid the mistakes, then they can't move. And, and those, that first factor of being ready and making sure somebody else can replace them you've got to keep those glasses topped up uh, and so that they're ready to move when they go. I don't like promoting people who decelerate out of a role. That would be my coaching. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree with that. Lily, do you have a... I think there's a big element of pay it forward there that Tom's saying, and it's definitely what we do in our onboarding process. Our whole BDR team is part of a new BDR's onboarding process. You've done this before. You've been through it. You know what it's like. You know what the pain is. You know what the struggles are like. Make sure that these people aren't facing half of those this time around and really I'm feeding that back and making sure that they're invested in the future of their team because that does lead to opportunity for themselves. Um, I think Tom's right in that there is a slowdown during these times, but what else can we do? What other opportunities for growth can we offer? I don't like the concept of burnout. I'd like to think that nobody gets to that point. I think that falls not just on BDR leaders, that falls on company leaders to make sure we're offering the opportunity for people to take a break. I think sales teams struggle with that more than anyone else because it's we've got a monthly quota or a quarterly quota and there's no break in between any of these times. It's constantly ongoing. There's never the right time. But it's how important is that for you to reset and to come back and to be ready to go again? And also when you are ready to go again, what other opportunities can we provide? Learning opportunities, development opportunities. Maybe that is paying it back to others in the team, but maybe it's all also investing in yourself to be ready for that role. Like Tom said, when it comes up, how are you making sure that if there's three or four people in a similar boat that all want that AE role, that you're putting yourself right at the top of that because you've invested in yourself. Perhaps your company has also invested in you, but you're really taking that proactive approach to... I want this role and this is how I'm going to do it. And alongside my day to day, I'm also investing in my future. 
and I'm focusing on that so that when the opportunity is there, I'm ready and I'm the first one in line to get it. Um, It's inevitable that during these times, those opportunities slow down. But I do think there are other things that you can be doing and that leaders should be doing as well to provide that motivation to the individuals. That makes sense. Um, I want to get us to the the summaries, but Alex has just asked um, a question around um, whether companies should be cold calling today. So really quickly from each of you, should they be cold calling still today, Lily? Yes. Yes, but it's difficult. This is something we really struggle with. I think definitely since the pandemic and people being out of offices, getting numbers is really, really hard. Um, And it can't be underestimated how difficult that is. However, I do think there is a strong case for when you can get through to somebody on the phone, your opportunity to convert, I do feel is much, much higher. It doesn't get as lost as it does in an email inbox. That being said, I think like with everything, it has to be a multi-channel approach. You can't just focus everything on making the dials and hope that that will return like we probably used to be able to. Tom? Uh, Yeah, calls uh, for years have been the highest converting channel for meetings. Uh, You know, you know more than you can say, you can say more than you can write. Uh, And it's our talking mechanism. Uh, I I just don't like the word cold. Yeah. Um, I think if you phone anybody out of the blue, it's a gamble. Uh, uh, the multi-channel approach of at least having them aware, slightly warm, tepid, you know, uh, anything that you can do to have that conversation, have some awareness or rapport around it already is critical. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you both. Brilliant. Um, That was a really amazing session. Thank you both for all your comments. Um, Before we wrap up, it would be great to get your, key takeaways and what you found most interesting from the session today. Um, Lily, should we start with you? Sure, I think something that really struck true with me was something Tom said around control your controllables. Think about those things that you can control and making sure we're controlling them. And for some people that might be, might take a bit more time to figure out what those things are that make prospects tick. And it will be different for some people. Um, but I think thinking about how do we control that? How do we make sure we're still putting the energy into that? And then the second piece being the long-term focus, like times like now you can't just focus on tomorrow, this month, next month, this quarter. It has to be that longer tail game of everything I'm doing right now will be focusing on something that will happen in the future, whether that is the immediate return or whether that is future return in Q4, H1 2023. Um, it's being in it for the long run because trust the process. That's the big part. Thank you. Tom? Um, I take uh, kind of great comfort about how many ideas that that Lily has and how measured uh, she is uh, on this call in the sense that, you know, when the pandemic hit and we had an SDR that they were literally at sixes and sevens and didn't know what to do. So, you know, the fact is we've just been through something massive. Um, pretty much any SDR leader uh, was either a team lead or an SDR during the pandemic. And so they've seen it firsthand, which means not only is there an empathetic response to that, you know, uh, we, we went through that for two years 
uh, and for some countries even longer uh, and managed to come out the other side. You know, we're a couple of months in. Uh, I think that the business world, this is more of a financial piece. So the business world will react to this a little bit quicker. And, you know, there's just a plethora of creativity and ideas. And, uh, yeah, trust trust your leaders. And, um, and hopefully you've got uh, somebody as good as Lily uh, who's steering the ship for you. Thanks, sir. Thank you both. Thank you again. Um, thank you to everybody tuning in. Um, if you haven't had a chance to fill out the feedback survey, please do. Um, it's in the comments. Um, but with that, I will um, call it today. Thank you very much and see you next time, hopefully. Take care. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you.